And so here I am. I just put my entire brain on this chat, this GPT, and it actually it's very, very good. It's incredible. You ask me a question, that will answer a give you a way better answer than I can give you right now. It's actually better than me, and we're only in the first inning. have Russell Peters be the very first guest on a podcast is such a game changer because when you're starting off something new and you don't know how you're going to produce content the next week and the next week and so on and then to be able to say to people hey you can come on this podcast by the way Russell Peters was our first guest can you imagine who we're going to get next type of thing you want to be a part of this yeah and then instantly people are like yeah I'm down I'm in how do we sign me up where do we go well and by the way though like Shout out to Russell because sure. he could have been like, what, no. what is this? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And he could have been like, I'm not going to do this. How many episodes? Show me an episode. Yeah, exactly. But he was, you know, he had faith. He was in. Yeah, he came in and he's just like, all right, let's do this. And he was so nice about it too. That's awesome. Yeah, so nice. And very lucky that we got to go that way. But Sean, you're, firstly, I'm so glad we were able to, to finally make this work. We've what? been talking for, we were saying before this, a year almost a year yeah. yeah and finally we made it happen we're just trying to figure out schedules yeah. i think i dropped off a couple times you dropped, oh, off, dropped a couple off times. a couple times for sure and yeah but you've got a wild it. travel schedule it is you're it all is, over the world it is a little crazy i'll probably do you know 80 to 100 cities um every year wow <laughs> what's your favorite city um oh, that's a tough question you know recently just went to barcelona i love barcelona yep um, I love Dubai, just like going to Dubai, just every time I make that drive, it's just surreal, just seeing yeah. all the buildings and seeing the vibe. Um, so yeah, but, uh, Spain, I'm actually going back. I'm actually turning 40 next year and oh. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I had to, I had to get the blessing for my wife, but I organized the boys trip next year, uh, to Madrid because I love Spain so much. We're going to have a good time. Spain's a beautiful country to visit. Yes. Yeah. I was in Barcelona recently with Poker Stars, and that was that was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that sounds like a lot of trouble to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> it, it can be, but it was it was a lot of fun. We we uh, Poker Stars has a good time. They always bring out some incredible names, like totally. you just people you don't think you're gonna run into, and then suddenly you see them sitting at the poker table next to you, and you're like, whoa, okay, yeah, all yeah, right, yeah. I'm playing poker with someone. Like I think, um, so earlier in 2023, I did a trip to the Bahamas. Uh, with poker stars as well and it turned out that i think it was neymar was there playing poker yeah (laughs) yeah i didn't get to see him but i found out after the fact i'm like i was in the same room as neymar and i could have just literally walked up and stood beside him and watched him play poker like it's insane that's wild yeah you never know who you're gonna meet at a poker table that's what i've learned this year okay okay good to know but now i want to know something from you yeah you released a book it's called go bold what does that mean well, you know, uh, you know, the bold ones is really about. To to me, it's about individuals. Sorry, being, the bold ones. Yeah, the bold My ones. My apologies. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Okay. No words. Go, go bold is good too. Go that, bold. It's good, it, it's good too. <laughs> That's a subtitle. Uh, you know, the reason why I wrote this book is because I really saw this power shift from institutions, from companies, from firms, to governments, to to individuals. I really believe that individuals now have more power than ever before. You can put up a 
uh, piece of media that can go anywhere. You have all the tech tools and technologies at your fingertips. Like today as an individual, I believe that we are the most disruptive entities on the planet and we can do so much more with way less. Yeah. So I want to write a book describing why we have this power shift, why we have more power than ever before, and dissecting some of the innovators throughout history around people that changed their lives and their careers and made a dent in their universes. So when you talk about um, disrupting industries, essentially, like yeah. anybody can become a disruptor by the sounds of it. What does that exactly look like in layman's terms to someone listening to this is just sort of getting into this concept of, you know, maybe I want to be a creator. I want to do something for myself. What does all that mean? Yeah, to me, disruption, this, you know, Clayton Christensen uh, was one of the founding fathers of this of this word around disruptive innovation. Um, and not to go through his definition, but I'll just make it very simple for the audience. To me, disruption is someone or some thing or some company that comes into a particular space and changes the status quo. They change the game, uh, change how the game is played. So to me, if I think about basketball, to make it simple, I know there's a lot of basketball fans that, you know, on, uh, on this pod. LeBron James to me is the GOAT, right? Greatest of all time. He is the GOAT in my mind. Hey, you can say MJ, <laughs> LeBron. This is not that type of uh, show. LeBron is the GOAT, but to me, the disruptor is Steph Curry because Steph Curry changed the game of basketball, the, the way that it's played. The reason why people take so many three-point shots is because Steph Curry, he, he entered into the space and just by him shooting the volume that he shoots at at a very high percentage, he, he evolved the game into what mm. it is today. To me, that's what a disruptor does is change the game. Not the person that's the greatest, the person that changes the game for everyone around them. And so um, that was, that's what I you know, spent my career dissecting. I worked at Deloitte for 12 years, um, really helping organizations when it comes to innovation and helping organizations disrupt themselves. But I really got excited about looking and, and researching individuals that did that. You know, another one is if you look at hip hop, you know, what, you know, Drake did by combining his singing prowess with his rapping talents, yep. combining that to together and creating a new category. Now, you could, you could argue that like Ja Rule and 50 Cent, you know, they, they did that they did, before. They dabbled in they, stuff They like did that, that yeah. but they didn't do it as well as Drake did. And sure. I think Drake created his own category. Is there so would a company like Uber be an example of something like this? Comes in, disrupts, you know, tax the taxi yeah, industry, hundred percent delivery of food, all those things. Hundred percent. Um, actually, if you go back to what Clayton Christensen's definition of um, innovate uh, disruption, he doesn't he doesn't think that Uber is disruptive, uh, because usually disruption starts out as something uh, very small in a very small market, and then it. Um, and then it kind of expands from there, which is basically what Uber did. They started with black cars in San Francisco, right. and then they expanded from there. But Uber is absolutely disruptive. It's a disruptive company. It changed how we look at transportation. It look it changed how we look at the entire, um, uh, you know, not only transportation system, but but the idea of clicking a button and getting anything delivered to your door. Convenience. Well, yeah, absolutely. Cars, food. You know, they're expanding into different realms, services, um, push a button, get everything to you. Yeah. Um, absolutely disruptive. So how does that, how would somebody, how would the average person who's in a career job right now, 
looking to, to make a name for themselves? How can they become a bold one? How can they go out and disrupt their company without also positioning them, like pigeonholing themselves as like, oh, this person is just, the, that's that one dude with the wild ideas. Let's totally. just put him into a corner and just let him talk to himself type of thing. Yeah. I believe that we have, tr- unfortunately, we've trained an uh, entire society uh, to have this assembly line mindset. I actually think that it's a disease. Mm. This idea that you clock in, you clock out. The idea that somebody stamps a number on your back and you go to work and you are, you do what you're being told to do. To me, being bold is about just doing something differently. It's about looking at what's in front of you and trying a different way of attacking that process, that challenge, that problem. It's creating value in the, the definition of innovation is to create value in new ways. So to me, being bold actually hasn't has nothing to do with um, you know, courage or confidence. To me, bold is actually the ability to do something different even though you're scared. It's walking into a situation, um, walking into the darkness, even though you're scared, but you still move forward. And so if you're, if you're watching this, if you're in your cubicle, if you're watching this while uh, you, you're driving, well, don't watch this. Listen to yeah. this while you're driving. <laughs> uh, to me, it's just, what can, I do some, what can I do that's different today that I didn't do yesterday? A question that I always ask myself is how do I try to get myself fired? Now, don't punch anybody in the face, but ask yourself, how do I try to get myself fired today? How do I take a very small risk that will change my trajectory and the organization's trajectory? How do I send that moonshot email to a client that I've been waiting to you know, send? How do I have that difficult conversation with a colleague that I've been waiting to have? How do I try to get myself fired every single day? And that will move you forward just a little bit. And so I try to ask myself that question every single day. And I think it's a great question to ask because, by the way, that's the whole point of disruption. You see, disruption is trying to get yourself fired before someone fires you. That's the whole point. And so if you can ask yourself that question, then um, you can disrupt yourself a little bit every single day. It's, it goes back to this idea of memento mori. Um, the Romans used to say this line, memento mori, which is remember you will die. It's a really great reminder that tomorrow is not promised. It's a reminder that you have to innovate every single day, and that's what's going to move you forward. How do you do that? That that concept of do something that would try to get yourself fired. I, I've never heard that before, so now I'm really curious. I want to go down that rabbit hole. How does someone who just heard that statement, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to that going, okay, but what does that look like? Yeah. So if I had a career job... And to your point, you know, how do you send that moonshot email to a client that you've been trying to target? If you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to broker a partnership or a new deal or whatever the case may be, what does all that look like? So in practice, yeah, absolutely. I'll say it in practice because I did it for a decade. I do it every single day, which is, which is how do I take a very small risk today? How do I take a very small bet today that will change my trajectory? So I'll give you an example. Um, I worked at, this management consulting from Deloitte. I, I I was a number. I love working there. It was it was incredible. But what I used to do coming into work and saying, how do I take a very small bet that will um, help me garner more clients or help me build a better reputation within the firm? So one of the bets that I made was like, why don't I just send an email to the premier? I live in Alberta actually. Uh, why don't I send an email to the premier to invite her out? to a innovation roundtable 
that we're having. Now, why would the premier even like say yes to what I, you know, to, to, to like a, a round table that I'm having? But to me, that's like a moonshot bet. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when you make these moonshot bets, 99% of the time it's probably not going to work out. But sometimes they do. And in that case, she agreed. And then she came out. Or let me send a moonshot email to the global CEO uh, around some of the gripes that I'm having around how we're tackling innovation in the firm. So I send the moonshot email and then it goes down the line. And now the CEO of Canada is coming to me and be like, hey, why are you sending an email to the global CEO? I mean, because he's my CEO. So I want to send an email. So sometimes you get slapped on the hand, but sometimes yeah. you're, you're, you're pushing the boundaries, right? Another project that I had is like, you know, we, we were doing something around performance management, analytics. I'm like, why don't we get Apple on board to be a partner? And people around the table are like, well, how are you going to get Apple? Well, you call Cupertino. You take that moonshot bet. You, you try to get yourself fired every single day. And by the way, we got this partnership with Apple. So it's like things that you don't think that you can get, but that's just moving you forward just a little bit. Mm. And, you know, I, I just think that more people can take risks and bets within their organization. You don't have to work for yourself to do this. You don't have to be a founder. You don't have to be an entrepreneur, um, but just taking those bets. And I want to ask you, like, now that I've said some of these examples, were there moonshots or bets that you've made that may have worked out or didn't work out? <laughs> yeah, uh, the podcast. This there you exact, go. This exact thing. Uh, it was a, a moonshot ask so we were approached about interviewing russell peters we were just talking about this at yeah. the top here we were approached about interviewing russell peters and said hey you know do you want to interview him he's coming to toronto he's working on this new partnership you know we can give you you know 10 15 minutes over zoom if you want and i was like absolutely i grew up watching russell peters yeah of course i want to talk to the guy and then as soon as i hung up i was just like man how great would it be to have this on video, right? So I'm not just telling people I spoke to Russell Peters. I can show people I spoke to Russell Peters. Right. And so I picked up the phone, called them right back and said, hey, we're actually doing something new. You know, we have this new series and, you know, we're developing it. Meanwhile, this was just like an idea in my head type of thing, right? And I pitched them on this concept of, hey, we've got a full studio. We've got a videographer, the whole thing, completely professional. Can we get Russell in the studio? And they're like, well, where's the studio? I'm like, well, where is he based? They're like, mid uh, downtown. I'm like, great. We have a studio downtown. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, uh, yeah, I think we can make this work. And I was like, okay, fantastic. As soon as they gave me that formal okay, I went and I found a studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went yeah, and I yeah, found yeah. a videographer. <laughs> and we put it together. He showed up two hours late. I didn't know if he was actually going to show up. Like, That's brown standard time, man. That's Indian standard time. <laughs> but I'm sitting there going, okay, if he doesn't show up, this whole thing is a giant fail. Because we've also invested money into the renting the space and the videographer and all these things. There was like seven of us in the room just waiting for all this to happen. And there was like this tension and anticipation of Russell walking through. I get a text about an hour and 45 minutes later going, hey, he slept in because he had a late night. He's on his way. And I was like, okay. And then he still, once he got in, I was like, this we're not even halfway there yet. It's about getting him in the chair. It's about having a conversation. And then after all of that, seeing what comes out of it. Yeah. Can this actually turn into something longstanding? Can we do this week after week after week? So I love this. You you made a bet. You didn't have anything in place. No. <laughs> you made a bet and it was and look where we are today. I mean, yeah, it, it yeah. it's incredible. And look at all the things that have happened after that and how this pod has succeeded. 
and all the amazing people that you've had on this pod and all the success that you've had personally because of it. I mean, it's incredible. So why don't we just do that every single day and try to make these little bets? They could be big bets, they could be small mm. bets, but I think you should be making a bet every single day. Make a bet today. And it's about, I think it, to your point, it's about taking calculated risks as well, right? Like no one is saying mortgage your home to start a company. And it, totally. it doesn't always have to be the entrepreneur route. One of the things, one of the biggest misnomers that I had to overcome was this concept of you, you're not going to succeed unless you're an entrepreneur and you founded some new company that's blown up and become a thing type of thing. You can do it. You can be successful even in your career job. And I think when you spoke to that piece, that's super important because this applies to people who are working the nine to five Monday through Friday, that that doesn't have to mean like you're just a number. You can do something to push that career forward. I 100 I, I percent believe that. And, and that's why I wrote the book is that it wasn't just for the entrepreneur, or for the founder. It was for the person that was working with an organization. And that's most people. They just want to make they, they they want to make a difference. They want to create value within their organizations and for themselves. They want to have fulfillment at the end of the day. And I believe that um, you don't have to do something on your own to do that. You can have that internally in it. And actually, the world is changing. You have all these technologies coming about. Like today, we can do way more with way less if you can just um, see it. Like I, that's why I believe today that we have all the power. We just don't. The, most people don't see it yet. It's here. Yeah. So let me let me flip the the script on you a little bit. This is coming from the lens and the perspective of the person in the career job or even the entrepreneur taking those little risks. What if you are the company? How do you create an environment for your people where they feel comfortable enough to take the little risks to push your company forward where they don't feel like they're handcuffed the entire way? Yeah. Well, you know, the tragedy with most organizations is that they are not set up to do that. Unfortunately, in most organizations, if you want your people to innovate or people try to innovate, what mostly happens is somebody gets slapped on their hand and they're they're told not to experiment or told not to fail again. And then, you know, folks within the organizations, they're not going to try to innovate unless you, you can only innovate unless you create a an environment where innovation is permissionless, where you can allow people to fail, allow people to take experiments and to take shots. And the best way of doing that is actually to remove uh, the things that are holding people back. So to be honest, you know, the reason why people don't want to innovate is because they think it's going to impact their up more upward mobility or their compensation. So mm -hmm. if you can remove those risks that it's going to impact your status within the organization, if you can remove the the idea that this is going to somehow impact your compensation and say i actually want you to take a very small bet i want you to learn from your failures and if you incentivize that and cheer that on and give people status around taking shots you're going to create an environment where people will want to innovate and uh, most organizations are not set up like that but i believe that the world is changing today and if you are not moving if you are not uh, trying to be innovative and you're just sticking with the status quo, that is the most dangerous place, place to be. Like mediocrity today, today, 2024, I mean, this is, we have to innovate. Yeah. We have to disrupt. The world is changing around us. And so if you stand still, you're, you're, you're in a dangerous spot. Well, speaking of change, AI obviously has become huge. Like in the last, what is it, two, three months four months it's like blown up and i say the last year because you know there's a one-year anniversary of uh, chat gpt and it's been 
I believe that it's been exponential over the last year. Okay. So where does AI fit into all of this? Yeah. Because from the corp from the company's perspective, you're looking at AI and going, this can provide solutions that makes us more efficient. It can make us more lean. On the worker side, on the the person with the career who's looking for that upward mobility, they're looking at AI and going, This can replace me. Yeah. Where's the balance between the two? What are you seeing on that front? So, by the way, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sinead Bovell, who was on one of the last episodes of, mm-hmm. of Gen's Talk Pod. Amazing episode. She's a great thought leader when it comes to AI and produ- producing some amazing content. So, go check out that episode as well. Um, I I really believe that this is the next paradigm shift. I really believe that when it comes to generative AI, that this is the end of mediocrity. Unfortunately, if you are in a job today that's redundant, that's repetitive, that's boring, that doesn't add that much value to the world, then with peace and love, but unfortunately, your job is gonna be replaced. This technology is so good, it's not getting worse. It's only getting better. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just in the first inning of it. So today, we need to figure out where do we add value within our organizations? Where do, where do we add our human touch and create value uh, for the world? We all need to look at our jobs and say, where am I, where am I contributing? Um, and that's why I believe in innovation. To me, innovation is about looking at um, ideas in new ways, approaching things in new ways. Unfortunately, innovation, uh, AI is really great, but it's not going to help you innovate at the end of the day. It's yeah. going to help. It optimizes the past. And to me, this generative AI space is so exciting that it's turning every single person today in knowledge work into a 10x designer, a 10x developer, a 10x writer. So there'll be two types of people in the future, those that leverage generative AI and those that do not exist. That's it. It's As it pertains to knowledge work right now. Right. So if you are... If you're listening to this and you have a knowledge worker job, just play with it. Go to ChatGPT, go to Perplexity AI, go to Midjourney, whatever it might be. Go to a generative AI platform and just try it. This doesn't count. Listening to this, watching to this does not count. You have to actually do something about it. You have yeah. to actually put in the work because only then will you realize the impact that it's going to make. And so I really believe that this is the future and we all need to be just playing with it. So, and, and, and the thing about this technology, Samir, is that like a lot of people say, well, I'm not a tech person. I'm not tech savvy. I'm tech illiterate. Well, this tech, not, can you, can like, can, can you write? Can you, can you narrate? That's all, it that, takes. That, that's all that it takes. Yeah, that's yeah. how, that's how democratic and accessible it is. This is the most accessible technology that we've ever, ever seen. Your nine-year-old grandmother, your seven, I have a seven-year-old that can use generative AI. So and come on. They're, gro- they're no growing ex- up with it too. Oh, ha- absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it's going to change education. It's going to reimagine how we look at education. It's going to reimagine our society. Do you see AI, do you see another frontier after AI? I know it might be too soon to, to ask that question, yeah. but I, I'm almost wondering where can AI take us? Because there's, there's things developing in the AR, VR space as well. And when you talked about education, it got me thinking. Yeah. You know, I've seen some of the clips that Meta's put out and there's metaverse style projects out there. And there's all sorts of things happening in the VR world that will allow you, 
you know, like I just imagine a scenario where if you're studying to become a doctor or a surgeon, where you, you know, use through AI and through VR, you have the ability to actually feel like you're learning on the spot. Like yep. you can actually do the surgery without doing the surgery. You know what I mean? So to me, it, uh, technology is all about convergence. Um, obviously, generative AI is on an exponential scale. You have other technologies like, um, you know, the, the AR, VR, some of the foundations of the metaverse, um, which is on an exponential scale. You see Meta and other companies investing into that particular space, which I absolutely believe is going to be a reality. You know, last year, everybody was, you know, even Facebook changed their name to Meta and, and everybody was laughing at them. But like, it, it is going to be part of our reality in the future. Hmm. And obviously, generative AI and, you know, you have Web3 around NFTs and blockchain. That's going to come back as well. And all these things are going to converge at some point. And it's going to converge at a point where somebody in Bangladesh that has really shoddy Wi-Fi can get trained using the metaverse and artificial intelligence and do a thousand surgeries, virtual surgeries um, in a row and be very proficient at surgery so that when it comes to actual uh, becoming a real surgeon, that they actually have you know, a base layer to go off of. They have a foundation so that we can actually democratize um, you know, healthcare. We can democratize education because of the convergence of all these technologies that we can teach more people around the world um, about almost anything. Yeah. So I think it's going to be an incredible future. Um, but it's to me, it's about the convergence of all these things. And to me, the next thing is, you know, you talk about the next thing. It, absolutely metaverse. There's also quantum computing. Um, so the future is the future is wacky. It's going to be weird. <laughs> We're not going to be able to predict it. Um, but I want to ask you, you know, when it comes to AI, are you are you afraid of the of, the, of this future? Are you afraid of where this is going? Or are you more optimistic? You talked to Sinead and she's she's actually a little bit more uh, balanced on, around this. Yeah, yeah. She she did a really good job of sort of providing different perspectives on things. Like she she had this really good analogy where she talked about how, you know, think of AI like a camera. Just because your iPhone has an incredible camera doesn't mean you're shooting the cover of Vogue. Right? right. So AI, the existence of AI does not automatically mean you're going to lose your ability to do something. There still needs to be people who utilize it to create the thing. So let me give you an example. Um, something I created a couple of weeks ago, I created this thing called Canungo GPT, which is an innovation co-pilot. Basically, what I did is I took my book and I took a thousand speeches that I've ever done. I took all the research that I did and I trained uh, a GPT a customized version of, of ChatGPT with yeah. all my all my my brain. Yeah. It's literally a download download for my brain. And Samir, uh, I can't do anything. Like I can't I can't do plumbing. I can't do drywall. I can barely put together an <laughs> IKEA set. The only thing I can do is do this. Yeah. I can talk. I can think. That's it. Yeah. And so here I am. I just put my entire brain on this chat this GPT, and it actually it's very very good. It's incredible. You ask me a question, that will answer. A, give you a way better answer than I can give you right now. It's actually better than me, and we're only in the first inning. So I thought to myself, I've created a better version of myself. Do you think that people won't want me anymore? They'll just, I won't get any clients, I won't get any speaking engagements, I won't have another book deal because it's on, it's like, because now I have Canoodle GPT. Just go no, there, yeah. of course not. People will still want me because at the end of the day, humans are the future. Humans solve problems. That's just ideas. And I think what, ChatGPT and all this generative AI has exposed is that ideas are great, but really humans are the ones executing. Humans are the ones that are 
uh, boldly moving forward. Only humans have courage. AI does not have courage at the end of the day. So um, that's why there will always be a place for humans at the end of the day. Even though it's smarter than us, right. there'll always be a place for humans. But if we don't monitor it, there's a possibility that it can essentially, you know, how do I word this? Kill us? Maybe maybe not Terminator, Terminator style, yeah. like kill us, but just more so it could become so advanced that, you know, we just end up doing nothing all day. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I haven't done that thought experiment, but I just wonder to well, myself, but, where does that go? But that's where the move, world is moving towards, right? That's, I mean, we, 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 can, we, we can press a button. We can get something delivered to our door. We don't have to interact with a soul to get the food or, that some, or interact with the person that made the food. We, we, we press a button. We have boxes thrown at our door all day long. We don't have to interact with anybody to get that box. I mean, God forbid somebody actually knocks on our door. We think it's a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, right? Someone knocked on my door yesterday. There like, you go. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> so so we've, we're already moving to a world where everything has become frictionless. And okay. I believe that in a world with, where there is a frictionless, there, everything is frictionless, that we need to bring the F word back, which is friction. We need to create more things that have friction, things that are meaningful and magical and memorable and inspiring and surprising and connection and human experiences. Do you, listen, the reason why everybody was going out th- this summer to, to watch Barbie, they, they want to experience. The reason why Lionel Messi made a dent with Inter Miami, raised the ticket price by like 800% is because we want that like human experience. Look at Taylor Swift. Like she's literally coming to Toronto and she, the, the economic impact of her coming to Toronto is going to be extraordinary. Look what she's done. Like she's a time person of the year because we all want to see her. This is about human. It's about experience. All of that is, is going to come back in a world that's AI. So let me repeat. When the world is like completely AI and frictionless, we're going to crave human experiences. We're going to crave intimacy and connection. So I'm I'm incredibly I'm incredibly bullish for humans actually at the end of the day. I'm incredibly bullish for like real tangible experiences, looking people in the eye. Like it's going to be incredible. Are you not worried though that people will turn to AI or AI will get to a point where people will utilize it for that connection where they won't necessarily need that human connection anymore? So I am worried for that. And that's absolutely going to happen. There is absolutely going to have synthetic relationships where we, where many people, their best friend, will be an AI. There will, there will be a time where people will have lovers that are AI. At some point, maybe even fulfill some of their sexual desires mm-hmm. with AI. That, like, we are going to move to that point. Uh, because at the end of the day, the AI knows you better than you, than, than you already think. Like, Gmail knows, can see all your emails. I mean, Siri knows all our, our, they can see all our text messages. You know, you meet somebody, you meet somebody and you're like, the AI will remember when you saw that person. You know, the AI will know us so much better than we know ourselves. So of course they're going to understand you. And of course these synthetic relationships are going to exist. But um, I just believe in humanity. Like I believe that that is going to exist and it kind of already exists already. Like, you know, you can go to OnlyFans and have a virtual girlfriend. That's why people are on OnlyFans to like, you know, yeah, to have like a, a virtual yeah. girlfriend. So we, it's always, the versions are already here, right? Um, it's going to be a problem. And I have kids. I got three kids. I mean, I I, I kind of don't, don't want them to have a synthetic relationship. I want them to have no, real relationships. No, I wouldn't want any. I wouldn't want a synthetic relationship. Yeah, what? I want a synthetic assistant. There you go. <laughs> well, you that's already available. So, um, the world. So that's absolutely gonna 
happened. You've been talking about a lot on this pod about mental health and isolation mm-hmm. and how the dep- you know people are just getting more and more isolated because of digital. People are b- mental health uh, issues are rising. And so AI is absolutely going to contribute to this. Do you think you're actually going to be happier having a synthetic relationship with an AI that you can't really see or touch? Like, yeah, we're, we're, the mental health issues are going to skyrocket because of that. It's I don't think it's going to help. Right. That's why I'm, you know, as a father of three, what I want to teach my kids is like, how do you, how do you, how do you look people in the eye? How do you build a relationship? How do you make a friend? How do you? How do you innovate? How do you fail? How do you have courage? How do you have resilience? You know, how do you develop grit? These are things that are really important. Like human skills become exponentially more important in this era. So talking, speaking of human skills, when we were all locked down for so many years, for two years, which still, whatever amount of time it ended up being, but what felt like a really long time, a lot of us lost human skills, I find. Coming out of the pandemic, there's a lot of people that realized, uh, you know what, I'm actually okay not talking to anybody. The isolation was kind of my excuse to get away from people. And from what I've seen, a lot of children have struggled because they had masks on for so long that they never got to see the expressions of people. So when you talk about human connection, have you seen anything in your line of work that tells you that we've taken a step backwards because of the pandemic and what we essentially went through collectively as a society? I mean, the I mean, you might have to clip this up because I think that I, I think people are going to hate this. But I, I, I feel like remote work has been a detriment. And, okay. and because I'm a bias and I've spent my career studying and researching innovation, remote work is absolutely a detriment to innovation. See, innovation requires people to work on hard challenges that are difficult, that require problem solving. You need collisions. You need energy towards that. And listen, uh, remote work is great. You wake up. You you, you wake up. You you, you you get up from your your, your bed. You, you you put some slippers on, and you're at work. You throw on the webcam, and you're you're at work. But that's not how um, that's not how humans should be working. Humans cooperate. We use our imagination, our creativity, our, our ingenuity together. And unfortunately, when it comes to remote work. Um, you don't get those things. And listen, I love cake. I love eating cake. But we all know that uh, if I had a cake right there, we all know the detriments of eating that cake. We're going to get fat, lazy, tired after eating that cake. That's remote work. It's easy. It's there. It's wonderful. I don't need have to commute. There's no hardship. Hmm. It's cake. And what we will realize in a decade, that if we keep eating this, we will lose culture. We will lose um, the ability to communicate, to, to work on hard problems. And a- any CEO that I talk to, they, will, they, won't tell, they won't say this publicly, but they will say it privately that their culture has uh, been hurt because of remote work. And it makes sense. If you are just having digital communication with folks, I, I know you're having more touch points with folks, but really that's not what communication is all about. Communication is like, it's like, going to the bathroom it's in the hallways it's going for beer it's going for a coffee with somebody and not even talking about work that's what work is all about Hmm. it's about developing those relationships so that you can have energy i believe that strategy is energy at the end of the day and if you want to accomplish incredible things you need energy towards that and unfortunately remote work you're not there's no energy there so that is my hot take tiktok (laughs) ain't gonna like this but but 
And, and by the way, if you're young and you're and you're and you're joining an organization, you don't want to do that remotely. How are you going to learn how to get feedback? How are you going to learn? You have to learn how to get punched in the face. You have to learn to get yelled at by your superior. You have to learn how to get backstabbed. You can only do that in per in person. You need those <laughs> learnings. Well, I was thinking as you were talking about the the little touch points between meetings when you're in person. Yeah. You know, you go into to a meeting, you sit down, you have a conversation, you've done the meeting. As you're walking to your next meeting, you're having a conversation about literally anything. And that's how you start to build little relationships with your coworkers, with your peers, with your superiors, with your subordinates, whatever. Having those little touch points are so important when you're digital or fully remote. What ends up happening is you literally click a button, you're in the meeting, you do your talking, you click another button, you're off the meeting, you click another button, you're into another meeting. And there's nothing in between. And I find 100% a lot of times people are burning out because they, they're actually working more. So for the people who are saying, I want more work-life balance, they're actually, they actually end up working longer because there's no separation. I mean, I remember when my office was in my bedroom and I would literally get up out of bed, to your point, get out of bed, put on a nice shirt and turn on the cam and I'm ready. And then there was no separation. And I just, it, I found myself working late. I found myself working extra and you ultimately burn out that way. So I don't know, at least speaking personally, I don't know if removing remote work altogether is the answer. But I do feel that balance between the two is important because I also believe that there's a lot of people out there who have young families like yourself yeah, no, I, who, who crave the ability to, you know, find that moment where they can spend the day at home working with, you know, they're working from home and they have the ability to take their to children. Me, to, to me, that's to called flexibility. To me, that's, you know, that's just um, having a work environment that promotes flexibility. Listen, if you needed to pick up your kid, I mean... I've always grown, you know, I've been lucky. I've been, you know, grown up in organizations where that's just called flexibility. That's just like, I need to pick up my kids from school at th like my kids get off at three, right? How are you going to do that when you have like a night? Like if you're working for an organization that appreciates, Hey, Sean's got to pick up his kids at three. He's got to, he's got to pick up his, he got to drop off his kids at eight 30. That's called flexibility. Remote work is this idea that, you know, you're, I just, I, I hate the idea that somebody is going to spend the majority of their time at home when they're not interacting with other humans. And mm -hmm. let's, let's say, let's, you know, if, if you look back at your success, Samir, would you say that, listen, you are a talented person. You're very smart. You're very <laughs> you. brilliant. You're very hardworking. <laughs> but let's, let's be honest. Most of your success has, has come about because of social capital. Would you agree? Like the ability to build relationships, the ability oh, to- Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Everything is social capital. I mean, all the hard work that you do and everything, there's still the element of the relationship building. None of it happens without relationship building. Yeah. You know, like when it comes to even acquiring guests for the podcast, it's built on relationships I've cultivated and like plants, you water every so often and, you know, you, you, you make it a point to, to connect and also to have conversations outside of the reasons, which is like, hey, I need you to help me with this guest or I need you, Samir, to do this for me. It's like outside of those interactions, you also need the the mini conversations that I talked about, the ones in the hallway, you know, like even here, as we walk into the studio, we're talking about something not related to the podcast. Yeah. How's your day? What'd you do? What are your plans for the holidays? Like those kinds of conversations. So social capital, 1000%, I would agree with that. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I just want to bring this up, Samir. I, I, um, about like 10 years ago, my friends and I, we made a movie. It was okay. our first hit. Um, short <laughs> film. 
and, and the title of the movie was Samir's 30 Days. No way. And the, the, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the concept was that Samir had 30 days to find a wife. Otherwise, his parents would uh, get him arranged. Okay. And so, um, <laughs> go, I, I, hey, if you, you want to watch that, you can find it on YouTube now. Uh, it was at a film festival. But, uh, yeah, Samir's 30 Days. Uh, I'm going to watch that. <laughs> I'm going to send it to your parents. You're not, you're not married yet, no? No, okay, no, okay. no. I, I've done the whole marriage thing. Didn't work out. Okay. That's a whole different okay. rabbit hole. Okay, that's that another went. pod. That's yeah, a solo another, pod. That's a solo pod. <laughs> that's yeah. a solo pod. That's just me and the camera having yeah, a one-to-one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so where do we go from here? Final question to you. Where do we go from here? Where do where do the nine to fivers go from here? Where do the entrepreneurs go from here? Seeing everything that's happening around them, the creator economy booming, like the the clamoring for attention, you know, social media platforms, yeah. bombardment of news and latest trends and algorithms and AI and all these things. It's a lot of noise for a lot of people. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Uh two things I would say. Number one, you should always go towards where humans are going, meaning what are humans wanting? What are they craving? What are they, what, where, you know, that's why I go back to things that are tangible, things that are magical, things that are in person, things where you can touch someone, you can look in someone's eye. To me, that's where the world will always go. Like people will always something, want something more meaningful and memorable to them. At the same time, it's like there's two extremes. At the same time, the world is moving to AI. The mo world is moving to video. Um, things are going to become more digital. It's not going. It's not going back. Mm. Uh, people want things that are also seamless and convenient and real time and now. And any piece of technology that will help us get there, we will adopt it. So, um, and then then you have video, right? You have you have the fracturing of media. You have the fa fracturing of of our attention you know now the idea of mass is dead the, you know everything is fractured into little pieces but i think that's incredible because you can find your audience anywhere around the world so um i think the world is on all on every extreme and if you want to find opportunities when it comes to real in-person stuff it's there if you want to find opportunities when it comes to ai it's going to be there and um I would just say look at both extremes and that's where the world is going to go. The world is always extreme and it's going to get more extreme. It's going to get weirder. It's going to get wackier. It's going to get crazier. It's going to get more uncertain. It's going to get more exponential. It's not – my, 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 my only advice to you is with all the extremity, extremities is I want you to embrace the darkness. Okay. Embrace the darkness. A lot of people come up to me and say, Sean, the world is changing. We just went through a pandemic. You're talking about generative AI. You have all these technologies coming about. When is the change going to stop? It's not. The change is not going to stop. The world is going to get more dark. Not in a bad way. Just it's going to get more uncertain. There's going to be extremes. So you have to be comfortable with change. You have to be comfortable with the uncertainty. That's why I believe in the bold ones. It's stepping into the darkness and just moving forward. To me, the most dangerous person in the room is the person who's most afraid but bold enough to move forward. And to me, that is the person that will be the most successful in the future. So the world is going to get crazy, but just accept it because it, it, just, it just is. Um, so that's what I would say to people that want to move forward. Amazing. Sean, thank you so much for your time. It was an honor. This and was I, great. I just want to say this. Um, I love what you're doing with the pod. 
you're having an incredible conversations with Canadians um, and beyond on this pod. So rate, review, subscribe, what you whatever you got to do, because uh, Samir and the team here are putting in incredible conversations and uh, just an honor to be on. Thank you so much. Those are really kind words. I really appreciate you saying that. Where can people find you? Where can they find your book? Where can they find you? Where can they f- listen to your speeches? Find Gents Talk Pod. Then <laughs> after that, <laughs> all you got to do, uh, you can find me at Sean Can Go Anywhere, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, IG, YouTube, wherever. You know, I'm posting up video everywhere. So check me out there. Amazing. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll do this again. Please. Absolutely. Safe travels today. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.